You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. It's very interesting to me how recently I've been confronted with uh, several individuals who have expressed some frustration and trepidation with this practice, uh, especially along the lines of, am I doing this right? Uh, what should I do to make sure that I get to this stage? Uh, what books should I be reading? So I've got that questioning type of thing kind of coming my direction. This is not only from people in this and then the other, uh, the Monday night group, but also over uh, email that people who listen to the podcast are, are they, they suggest that, you know, this is just too intellectual. I've been speaking about that a fair amount, but that doesn't seem to help. <laughs> I'm still, uh, I guess, pushing too many, too, too many uh, intellectual buttons. So I'm going to start talking like this, and hopefully everyone <laughs> will just get it. <laughs> I'll speak, I'll speak more loudly and more slowly. That ought to do it. Wake up. <laughs> One of my teachers said to me just recently, he said, uh, Mike, remember, the goal is to make it simple, even though it's not easy. So, from the heart, I offer up something simple. And that is the recognition of your life frees you from its boundaries. Now maybe that's too intellectual, but this entire technology, the spiritual technology, is designed to fail at bringing you one step closer to spirit, one step closer to whatever your idea might be of God or of Buddha. It is designed to fail. It is designed to actually get your brain to go, huh? I can't comprehend that. I can't 
grasp that. And the minute you get there, it's working. When that happens, there are two directions you can go. When you get to that place of, I can't comprehend this, you can either go, well, I'll just keep letting it rain and see what happens. Or, and this is most, most common, or screw that whole thing, screw that teacher, egomaniac, or, or that, that group of people. They're weird. Uh, I mean, there are all sorts of resistance patterns that come up immediately the minute the practice itself actually starts to work. And this is where courage comes in. This is where you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, I, <laughs> something's happening. Yes, something is happening. And what's really happening is there is uh, a pulsating opening and closing of the heart that keeps growing. A pulsing opening and closing of the mind. And we're not talking like being open-minded as in, hmm, that sounds neat. We're talking about open-minded as in on the other side of anything that can be comprehended and then allowing that in. Just like an oyster allows a grain of sand in and turns it into a pearl, so too do we just allow these words that we read or that we hear, just let them in. Let them pour over you and don't try to get anything. It's in the getting that we diminish our ability to awaken to what's true in us and true in others. It's what keeps this mind and heart that are both as big as the night sky, it keeps them closed. Sometimes I use the word contracted. And people are so afraid of that because it means that they're out of control. It means that they actually have to face the depths of their own heart's deepest longing, of their own mind's deepest questions. So one of my favorite people on the planet, Linda Ruth Cutts, who was the former abbess at, uh, at Green Gulch Farm, well, at San Francisco Zen Center, uh, equated this whole experience to this great literary metaphor that, that I picked up on because I just read the uh, story Beowulf. And she mentioned that, you know, we would rather be eaten by hounds than to go into that lake. 
to go into the lake of the unknown where we actually have to face our heart's deepest longing and our mind's deepest questions, we would rather die than do that. So I wanted to read um, this Burton Raffles, uh, kind of a, a new translation of, of uh, Beowulf that I thought I'd read to you. They named the huge one Grendel. If he had a father, no one knew him. Or whether there'd been others before these two, hidden evil before hidden evil. They live in secret places, windy cliffs, wolf dens, where water pours from the rocks, then runs underground, where mist streams like black clouds, and the groves of trees growing out over their lake are all covered with frozen spray. And the wind down snake-like roots that reach as far as the water and help keep it dark. At night, that lake burns like a torch. No one knows its bottom. No wisdom reaches such depths. A deer hunted through the woods by packs of hounds, a stag with great horns, through driven through, though driven through the forest, from faraway places, prefers to die on those shores, refuses to save its life in that water. It isn't far, nor is it a pleasant spot. When the wind stirs and storms, waves splash toward the sky, as dark as the air, as black as the rain, that the heavens weep. Can we face Grendel in our life? Can we face the thing we fear most with an open embrace of awareness, not running away from our life, not running away from our cravings, just noticing them? The noticing them is our freedom from them. Can we notice our darkness? Truly, can we notice it? If we can notice our darkness, that's our freedom from our darkness. Noticing our depression frees us from its grasp if we can stay with it. It doesn't mean that we won't feel our depression. It doesn't mean that we won't feel, on the other side of this, our bliss. But it means our relationship to it has shifted consciously. It means we have gone into the water. We're not going to get eaten by the hounds. We're actually going to face something even greater our fear. And facing that fear is our freedom from it. And with practice, we begin to embody a fearlessness. We begin to embody a peace. We begin to embody a quietude. 
I've had the amazingly good fortune of being able to come in contact with several people who shine this quietude. Some of you may have experienced that yourselves, where there is someone who has so much of the, in uh, Hindu, we call it uh, Shakti. It's just this radiance. It's the pulsating radiance of a truly open mind and a truly open heart beyond bounds. And it guides a certain energetic flow out of the person's pores, out of their cells, out of their eyes. And in their presence, we're reminded of what we really are, of what our essence is. We are given in that moment a guide. And with time, we recognize that those guides are all around us. They're not only embodied in an enlightened teacher, but in the deeply unenlightened teacher who points out our own awakening through our resistance to whatever it is that they're offering us. We begin to see, as we open our minds and our hearts at this radical level, we meet our lives with this radical truth, we suddenly start to see everything is Buddha. Everything is bliss. Everything is the lake. And we no longer have to be tormented by the hounds of form. We can recognize the formlessness of that lake we can dive into it, and it's our salvation. We recognize that we can bring this awakening into this very life, right here, right now, just by watching very carefully what's really going on. And this extricates fear from the equation. It takes negativity away from the algebra of our day-to-day. -day. Sorry if that got intellectual there. I brought up algebra, but, uh, you know. <laughs> but it allows us to begin to flow. It allows us to begin to pulse with life, through life, as life. And in that moment, we're neither born, nor will we ever die. That aspect of us that is open like that, that is just awareness, has been with us since we were, it's been with us since before the Big Bang. It shows up as a life that we tend to erroneously call our own. But that awareness has never not been here. It is infinite in its scope. Just like right now, anything that arises within your awareness arises within you. 
Everything is within your awareness. It is infinite. F fear, bliss, whatever arises within your awareness arises within you. You are that awareness. That awareness never ends. And when we begin to relax into that by noting deeply and honestly what feelings are we having right now? What thoughts are we having right now? When we can note our thoughts and note our feelings, or sometimes I've described it also as noting our past and our future, if you can do that, if you can note time, note your thoughts, note your feelings continually, that's awakening. That's when we suddenly are literally awakened into this boundlessness that has always been and is always shared by all beings. That changes your life and it also changes everybody else's that you will ever touch. And there's a real nice name we give to that place. It's got three words. That place is called the end of suffering. Michael, is what you're saying in simple terms simply being alert, willing, and aware of what is? Yeah. Period. Period. That, that makes it awfully simple, but... Not easy. But is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What it is. What it is. And the recognition that kind of ends up coming from what it is is my favorite phrase among the youth today. It's all good. Um. Which is an interesting evaluation, but... The other way we could say that in deeply spiritual terms, it's only bliss. Even in the darkness of the lake, there's bliss. Bliss is the backdrop to every single aspect of our life the minute we start to get beyond the the world of name and form, birth and death, the minute we actually start to resonate with that infinity, it's only bliss. That recognition allows us to change our relationship with all the things that have typically hurt. Could you describe bliss? Yeah. Chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> okay. With a milk is even, with milk is even better. Warm. You like warm milk? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It also looks like a traffic jam on the Bay Bridge. Keep, keep going. It looks like um, Girl Scouts selling cookies outside the Safeway here in Lafayette. It looks like... Um, your worst nightmare 
all of those things merely arise on the stage mm. of our experience, right? But if you're the audience to the stage of that experience, if you can rest in that, in that place within the audience, you are resting within total openness, an infinite expanse. The mind that's open like the night sky and the heart that's open like the night sky, filled with stars. An infinite expression of all there is, but it's conscious. The awareness. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It seems to me one of the things I'm hearing is that you're encouraging us not only to face our fears, but also to seek out our fears and address them. Or am I misinterpreting your, some of your comments? You need to be really careful. It's a great, great question. Because what can happen is we can then um, lean too far into them. And then we get caught by them. We can get caught by facing them. Right? So going into the lake, facing Grendel, facing the monster, whatever it happens to be, is merely just a right-hand turn where we normally turn left. We normally just go, let, let the hounds bring them. And this is just a different move. It's consciously I'm making the choice to actually face my deepest longing, my deepest fear, whatever it is. It knows no bottom, right? But still fearlessly exploring that allows us then to allow for the fear, allow for the bliss, allow for whatever there is to just show up, and then we meet it with every single bit of this divine intentionality, which is just openness. I will stand here and dance with whatever shows up, no matter what she looks like, no matter what he looks like, I'm going to dance. So it doesn't involve searching for a partner. It, in, it involves being available totally. And in that process of dancing, we begin to get rid of all the things that have held us back. Yes, then just and to phrase it another way, or, or a way that my simple mind can, can grasp is <clears throat> rather than seeking out and actively engaging the fears is when they present themselves, you don't shy away at all. There you go. Don't flinch. And this is where meditation comes in. Meditation creates a stability and it creates a stability enough for the entire psyche to be ready for the uncovering, the great uncovering. And what's amazing is whatever is uncovered can't hurt you. It can't hurt what's real in you. It can only hurt what is contracted and small within you. And that pushes us into a whole new developmental space. It spawns an evolution.
But this is such hard work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and I had something happen last week that was a, a, a moment that brought me so much more alive feeling than sitting and sitting and sitting. I was driving along and the car in front of me ran over a squirrel. Mm -hmm. And this poor little animal was writhing in the road mm -hmm. as I drove yeah. up to it. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was right there and it was my death. It was, woo. And, and that stayed with me for probably a couple of minutes. It was like, whoa. Sitting doesn't bring me those things, usually. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe, maybe sitting took me to be able to do that. I, I, I don't know. But it, but it was remarkable. It was remarkable. Yeah. Um. Meditation uh, doesn't, nor should it, only happen while we sit. Sitting's just the pressure cooker. And there is nothing like witnessing death to remind us of the temperature. <laughs> because that little squirrel is us. We don't have a lot of time. We're going to die. So the question is not how to prevent the death, but rather how are we going to live? That backward step right there is the path, is Buddha, is the Christ. Thank you, squirrel. Nine bows to the squirrel. I just want to say thank you um, because I don't find it too intellectual. The whole idea is somewhat intellectual, but I'm finding from the numerous other sources that I have pursued and have worked with that you're much more direct and I am finding that here, as well as listening to the podcast, it is just a matter of listening and not thinking too hard about it. The other sources that I have, I find myself trying to decipher what is being said and read between the lines all the time. And somehow you're getting to the heart of it much quicker. And that's by comparison, at least. Um, so, uh, thank you. You're welcome, Chris. Thank you. So now it's back to intellectual. You're giving me permission, right? All right. Thank you. Seriously, that means a lot.